distended gut. I was pale and dark-haired, all lanky muscularity at six foot three. Who would win? I finally quit trying to predict a winner. But other cops had taken up the question, and during that first year at Central, I heard dozens of opinions. Blanchard by early KO, Blikert by decision. Blanchard stopped stopping on cuts. Everything but Blikert by knockout. When I was out of eyeshot, I heard whispers of our non-ring stories. Lee coming on the LAPD, assured of rapid promotion for fighting private smokers attended by the high brass and their political buddies, cracking the Boulevard Citizens Bank heist back in 39, and falling in love with one of the heister's girlfriends, blowing a certain transfer to the detective bureau when the skirt moved in with him. In violation of departmental regs on shack jobs, and begged him to quit boxing. The Blanchard rumors hit me like little faint jabs, and I wondered how true they were. The bits of my own story felt like body blows, because they were 100% straight dope. Dwight Bleichert joining the department in flight from tougher main events, threatened with expulsion from the academy when his father's German-American Bund membership came to light, pressured into snitching the Japanese guys he grew up with to the alien squad in order to secure his LAPD appointment. Not asked to fight smokers because he wasn't a knockout puncher. Blanchard and Bleichert, a hero and a snitch. Remembering Sam Murakami and Hideo Ishida manacled en route to Manzanar made it easy to simplify the two of us at first. Then we went into action side by side, and my early notions about Lee and myself went bluey. It was early June of 43, the week before sailors had brawled with zoot suit-wearing Mexicans at the Lick Pier in Venice. Rumor had it that one of the gobs lost an eye. Skirmishing broke out inland, Navy personnel from the Chavez Ravine Naval Base versus Pachucos and Alpine and Palo Verde. Word hit the papers that the Zooters were packing Nazi regalia along with their switchblades, and hundreds of in-uniform soldiers, sailors, and Marines descended on downtown L.A., armed with two-by-fours and baseball bats. An equal number of Pachucos were supposed to be forming by the Brew 102 Brewery in Boyle Heights, supplied with similar weaponry. Every Central Division patrolman was called in to duty, then issued a World War I tin hat and an oversized billy club known as a nigger knocker. At dusk, we were driven to the battleground and personnel carriers borrowed from the Army and given one order. Restore order. Our service revolvers had been taken from us at the station, the brass did not want 38s falling into the hands of reet-pleat, stuff-cuff, drape-shape, Argentine, ducktail Mexican gangsters. When I jumped out of the carrier at Evergreen and Wabash, holding only a three-pound stick with a friction-taped handle, I got ten times as frightened as I'd ever been in the ring. And not because chaos was coming down from all sides. I was terrified because the good guys were really the bad guys. 
Sailors were kicking in windows all along Evergreen. Marines in dress blues were systematically smashing streetlights, giving themselves more and more darkness to work in. Eschewing inter-service rivalry, soldiers and jarheads overturned cars parked in front of a bodega, while Navy youths in skivvies and white bell-bottoms trunchened the shit out of an unnumbered bunch of zooters on the sidewalk next door. At the periphery of the action, I could see knots of my fellow officers hobnobbing with shore patrol goons and MPs. I don't know how long I stood there, numbed, wondering what to do. Finally, I looked down Wabash toward First Street, saw small houses, trees, and no Pachucos, cops, or blood-hungry G.I.s. Before I knew what I was doing, I ran there full speed. I would have kept running until I dropped, but a high-pitched laugh issuing from...